Good morning, church. I love you, and I appreciate you. I've enjoyed this series primarily because it's been such a positive series. We've we've been talking about uh, the the truth of the gospel that that touches us not only on an intellectual level, but an emotional level. It it makes us feel good. It comforts us, just the way a, a good meal comforts us. But the more I thought about the text for this week, the more I thought, I, I can't start there. I wish that I could. I wish it could just be positive and we could just talk about things that make us feel good and, and, and we'll get there. I, I promise if you, if you hang with me, we'll, we'll get there. But sometimes, in order to really appreciate a meal, in order to really feast, first you have to acknowledge how hungry you are to begin with. You have to acknowledge... I'm famished, I'm really, really hungry, I'm looking forward to this meal. And part of what we hunger for on a spiritual and an emotional level is we're hungry for peace, we're hungry for justice. Some people, admittedly, more than others, hungry for peace, hungry for justice. This is what Jesus meant in the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What he's saying is those who hunger and thirst for God's justice. And as we look around at the world, at every corner of the globe, we we see the need for justice and peace, don't we? I mean, I, I can't help but think of what's going on in Israel and Gaza and Palestine. And I was thinking, how, how much of that history do we, do we get into this morning? I, I don't know. I, I was literally debating. I'm debating right now how much of that to get into. But, but this story goes all the way back to, to the New Testament, to our story. What's happening right now goes all the way back to then. You probably know that in the time of Jesus, the, the Jewish people, the Judean people, were occupied by Rome. And they desperately wanted the way that so many people want and have wanted to be independent and to have their their freedom back, to be like it was during the days of King David. That's what they they wanted. That's what they believed God had promised them. And so they, they fought for their independence, the way that, again, so many ethnic groups have fought for their independence over the years. And you probably know that in 70 AD, one of those revolts, those revolutions for independence, failed. And that the Romans won. And they destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. You may not know that a few decades after that, they tried again. The Jewish people collected more arms and more soldiers and more people, and they they fought again against the the Roman occupation to try to gain their independence. And in 135, under the Emperor Hadrian, the Jewish people lost again. In fact, they lost so completely that Hadrian, the Romans, kicked all of the Judean people, all of the Jewish people, out of the region. They completely banished them from the region. I mean, just... Kind of think about that for a second. Jerusalem was reestablished as a Gentile city. The the name of the region was changed to Syria, Palestine. And the Jewish people were completely removed from their homeland, the place that they had called home for generations and generations. 
And of course, the Jewish people, as they were scattered throughout the world and continued to be scattered across the world for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years, desired to come back. But in that region, there were very few, if any, Jewish people until like the late 1800s, early 1900s, when slowly this trickle of Jewish people began to come back and make settlements and villages there in the land that we call Israel. Syria, Palestine. And then, of course, World War II happened. The Holocaust happened. Millions of Jewish people were massacred. And so the UN decided that they were going to create a state for the Jewish people, that the Jewish people needed a homeland again. And so they decided that they were going to have a split territory between the Arab people and the Jewish people. But of course, there were Palestinian people who had been living there for centuries that that had become their homeland. And so the idea that part of their land was going to be taken away and given to the Jewish people who said, no, 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 this is our homeland, of course, that angered them, and there was a war. 1948, 1949, there was a war, and then, of course, Israel became an independent nation. Finally, they had the independence that they had been wanting for 1,800 years, for thousands of years. They, they finally had that independence, but of course, the people that had been living there were angry and upset about that, and conflict, and tension, and war, and it, it just continues, doesn't it? But that's not unique to Israel. The same sort of tension, and conflict, and war, and violence is happening all over the world and has been happening all over the world where people injure one another. In fact, we could go all the way back to the fall. We could go all the way back to Cain and Abel. And from the very beginning, brother has been angry and bitter against brother and brother has been killing brother over and over and over and over again. And we could look at our, own, at our own place, American colonists wanting their independence and revolting against the powers over them, but then the people that were enslaved and the people whose land was taken from them, and people are injuring one another and hurting one another and hating one another and bitterness and injury and desire for things to be set right and desiring for someone to pay. In fact, we could, we could say that, couldn't we? That it's perfectly natural for the injured parties, it's perfectly natural for injured parties to say someone has to pay. And we can look across the world throughout time and we could understand when someone says this, someone has to pay. Someone has to pay for what has been done to me personally or what has been done to my people, but someone has to pay. Not always in a sense of vengeance, sometimes just in a sense of restitution. Someone has to pay. Sometimes in a sense of I have to show people how strong I am so that this sort of thing doesn't happen anymore. Someone has to pay. Generation after generation, people group after people group, nation after nation after nation across the world, this has been the history of mankind since Cain and Abel. We have been injuring one another and being injured by one another. 
I mean, every people group in the world could say, I have been injured. And every people in the group, every people group in the world could probably say, I have done some injuring. And so there are grievances on every side, no matter where we look. And there is this call for someone to pay. And, and we understand this. We understand this hunger, this thirst for justice, this hunger, this thirst for peace. And the people in the first century understood it too. The Jewish people at the, at the time of Paul, as Paul is writing this letter that we've been reading, his, his fellow Jews understood this cry for the justice of God, this desire for for peace. But so did the Gentile people. So to kind of keep that in mind as we read from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, here's what Paul says. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now he's, he's writing to a predominantly Gentile group of Christians. And he's saying, you have to understand, before I even talk to you about what you're supposed to do, you have to understand what's been given to you. Who you are now. You have to understand that you Gentiles, you Gentiles, what does that word Gentiles mean? It means ethnic groups, nations, you people who belong to the nations. In other words, that, that's the way that the Jewish people thought of everybody else. Everybody else was, if you weren't Jewish, you were Gentile. You were the nations. You were the other people. There's us, and then there's them. And he says to the Gentiles, you others. You were the others. You were the nations, you were the other ethnic groups, you were the foreigners, you were the outsiders, you were the uncircumcised. He says that's what the circumcision called the uncircumcision. You were the uncircumcised foreigners. That wasn't a compliment, was it? That was the way that, that Paul had thought about everybody else in the world. Paul is a former Pharisee. The word Pharisee means separate ones. They prided themselves on being separate from the Gentiles, from the Greeks, from the people that had done so much harm and damage to their people. And he says, you have to understand, before we talk about what you're supposed to do as Christians, you need to understand what that means to be a Christian. And we need to understand that too, don't we? I'm, I'm the Gentiles. I'm the foreigner. I'm the outsider. I'm the people that Paul is talking about. And Paul says, you have to remember that that's who you were. And verse 12, remember, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, separated from Messiah. Remember that you were at that time separated from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He says, you have to remember this. Keep this at the forefront of your mind. Don't forget who you were. 
who you deserve to be. You Gentiles, us, me, you were separated, alienated, strangers, hopeless, godless. And that's how the Jewish people thought of us because it was true, right? It was true. You're foreigners, you're strangers. You have no, you have no claim on our God or the promises that our God has made to us. You're foreigners, you're strangers, you're hopeless, you're godless. And he says, that's who all of you were. That's who all of the Gentile nations were. No inheritance, no hope, no real God. You, you worship stuff. You worship the work of your own hands. You were hopeless, you were godless. But, verse 13, but now, oh, that's good, isn't it? That's who you were. All, all of the groups of the world, that's who you were. But now, in Christ Jesus, in Messiah Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Can you even imagine what it was like for a former Pharisee for a Hebrew of Hebrews to write these words or for a Jewish person to read these words that Paul is saying to all those who put their faith in Jesus, they're not circumcised, they don't keep Torah, they don't eat kosher, they don't keep the Sabbath, and he says to all of them, all of the strangers, all of the aliens, all of the separate ones, all of the, the nations, he says to all of them, you who were far off, now you've been brought, what? Near. You've been brought near. You've been brought near. Our inheritance is now your inheritance. Our family is now your family. Our people is now your people. You aren't far off anymore. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you're right. Someone has to pay. Someone has to pay. And Jesus said, I will. I will. I'll bring peace. I'll bring peace by shedding my own blood. I will pay. And Paul acknowledges Jesus has paid the price. And because Jesus has paid the price, no more strangers, no more foreigners, no more the other. There's no more us and them. Now, because of the blood of the Messiah, now all those who put their faith in Jesus have been brought near by his blood. Someone has to pay. Everyone says it. Everyone knows it. Someone has to pay. And Jesus says, I will. I will pay. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He himself is our peace. 
He has brought peace by breaking down the wall of hostility. Some of you know segregation more than I could ever comprehend that word. The people in the first century knew about segregation. People all over the world know about segregation. To have a wall, to have a sign, to have a boundary marker, to say there's people on that side of the line and there's people on this side of the line and people on that side of the line aren't allowed to come on this side of the line. In the temple, there was, there was a court where Gentiles were allowed to be, but then there was a barrier, a railing, that said, you're not allowed to come on this side. If you're a foreigner, if you're a Gentile, you're not allowed to come on this side. In fact, here's what the sign said. We found, we found signs like this that says, no foreigner is to enter within the balustrade, which is like a railing, and forecourt around the sacred precinct, whoever is caught will himself be responsible for his consequent death. If you're a foreigner, you can't come any closer to the temple than this. You're not allowed. Since the beginning, people have been segregating themselves from one another separating themselves from one another, saying, you can't be a part of us because you're a them. You don't belong with us. And this is how Paul grew up. This is, this is what shaped him. He was a Pharisee. And now his eyes have been opened, literally and metaphorically, and he has seen, actually, Yahweh's intention was always to bring Jews and every ethnic group together into one multi-ethnic family. And that Jesus has torn down the wall of hostility. Jesus has torn down the barrier. Not Jesus can tear down the wall. Not Jesus wants to tear down the wall. But Jesus has torn it down. It's done. We don't practice that anymore, he's saying. We don't live that way anymore. This is not the way we are going to operate because Jesus has already accomplished desegregation. He has already desegregated humanity. He's torn down the wall and has brought us together. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now that doesn't mean that Jewish people became Gentiles. It doesn't mean Jewish people stopped being Jewish people or that Greek people became Jews doesn't mean Greeks stopped being Greek or Romans stopped being Romans, but it does mean that all of these groups were brought together into one unified body in Christ. That in Him, where there used to be two groups, us and them, Jews and Gentiles, these people and those people, civilized people and barbarians, Paul says, no more. Now in Christ, he's brought everyone together into a single unified body. So that what we said last week, what is true of the head is true of the whole. 
for both the Jew and for the Gentile. Again, can you imagine the the groundbreaking idea this was? The world had never seen this sort of thing before. The world had never seen this sort of thing before. Where people who spoke different languages, who came from different tribes, who came from different cultures, now considered each other not just neighbors, but family, brothers and sisters. That they would sell their land and give it to someone of a different tribe, of a different nation, of a different ethnicity. The world had never seen anything like this before. In fact, in the second century, a man named Justin Martyr, he wrote this about Christians. He says, we who hated and killed one another and would not associate with men of different tribes because of their different customs, now, after the manifestation of Christ, live together and pray for our enemies. The world had never seen anything like this before. Jesus was doing something brand new. Taking people of different groups different tribes, different cultures, different language, different ethnicities, and bringing them together into one family. And saying, from now on, there is no wall in between you. From now on, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that if you're a Gentile, you have to be circumcised and, and keep the customs of the Jewish people. No, no, no. Greeks are still Greeks. Jews are still Jews. But now there's no Jew and Greek. Now there's no more civilized and barbarian. Now you're all one in Christ Jesus. And Justin says, before, before I, I came to Christ, I wouldn't eat with someone. I wouldn't share a fire with someone of a different tribe. They have different customs. They have a different culture. They speak a different language. I, I wouldn't have anything to do with those people. But now we're family now we're family because of the manifestation of Christ, because we have seen what Jesus has done. This isn't just a future hope. I know it's, it's lovely to think about, well, one day when Jesus comes, won't it be great? Won't it be great what we have then? And, and amen and amen, absolutely. But it's not just about what Jesus will do. It's what Jesus has done. And what we have right now, I mean, look around us. We're on the other side of the world. We speak a different language. And even in this room, Jesus is reconciling humanity to himself, but also to one another. Look at verse 16. Paul says this, And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's so much there. And if we would just embrace this, if we would just believe this, that this is true, it would change everything. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body. You see, we're reconciled to God together. We're reconciled to God together. That we are reconciled to God in one body. That means you can't be reconciled to God by yourself. You can only be reconciled to God with the church of every ethnic group, 
So if you say, well, I don't want to be with those people. I don't want to be with those people. I can't, I can't be around those kind of people. Well, then you might be rejecting what God is doing through Christ. He is not only reconciling us to himself, but is reconciling us to each other. He's bringing us together in one body and by one body bringing us to God. There is no reconciliation to God without being part of the body of Christ. We are reconciled to God as a group. As a group. Jews and Gentiles. And that was hard. That's been hard for people all over the world throughout time to accept that this is true. But notice he says that we are reconciled to God in one body through the what? The cross. Through the cross. Who was it that poured out their hostility on Jesus on the cross? Was it the Jewish people or the Roman people? The answer is yes. Right? That both the Jews and the Gentiles poured out their hostility on Jesus on the cross. By God's design. By God's design. Both the Jewish people at the, in the first century had grievances against the Romans. And the Romans had grievances against the Jews. And everyone said, someone has to pay. And Jesus says, I'll pay. I will pay. Let your hostility be poured out on me. And the hostility was poured out on Jesus so that he could kill the hostility. We all have to acknowledge that injury has been done to our people and by our people and then allow Jesus to take that hostility upon himself. For Jesus to pay the price. For Jesus to kill the hostility. Not that Jesus will someday kill the hostility. Paul says you have to accept by faith right now in the present. You have to accept by faith that the hostility has already been put to death in the cross. Right now. You say, but, but look around. Look around. There's still hostility. Look around. There's still conflict. Look around. There's still hatred. Look around. There's still bitterness. Look around. There's still war. But this is why it is by faith. We have to accept that these things are true by faith, not because it looks that way or feels that way or seems that way, but because we trust that this is true in Christ Jesus. You have to accept that you're forgiven, whether you can see forgiveness or not. You have to accept that you've been adopted into the family of God, whether you can see that or not. You have to, be, you have to accept that you've been justified in God's sight whether you can see it or not. And you have to accept that in the cross, all of the hostility, all of the ethnic tensions have been put to death with Christ. We have to accept that these things are true. Verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentile, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. A complete and total ceasefire from everyone to say we believe 
that it has been dealt with in the cross and that we've been reconciled not only with God, but, but with one another. And in one spirit, we have been reconciled to God. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. See, it's not just that you are now part of God's family, but that you are fellow members with people who look very different than you, who speak a different language from you, maybe even who come from a people group who have historically been at odds with people from your people group. You have been made one family with each other. This is what Paul is saying to people who were always in conflict with one another. He's saying no more. No more hostility. No more bitterness. Because Jesus has paid the cost. And now we are all members of the same household. We have been joined together and built together into a temple for God. Together, 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 because you can't be reconciled to God by yourself. You can only be reconciled to God together. And in one family and in one body, he is bringing us together in a beautiful mosaic. People from every background, every nation, every tribe, every language. And together, God is dwelling in us as his collective temple. You see, we have to accept that this is true by faith. We have to accept that God has made peace vertically between us and him, and also accept that God has made peace horizontally between us and other people, even when they haven't accepted it yet. Even if somebody else hasn't accepted it yet, you have to go ahead and accept that this is true, accept that Jesus has already purchased the peace. You have to accept by faith. I have to accept by faith that Jesus has already purchased the peace. That's the next slide. Have we accepted that? Do we believe that? Not just that someday, someday, Jesus will make peace. But right now, he has already paid the price. He has already put the hostility to death. He has already reconciled us in one body to the Father. And in order for us to live into this reality, in order for us to embrace this reality and live as if if this is true, we have to accept that it is. We have to accept that this is already true, that Jesus has already purchased the peace. That peace that we're hungry for. That justice that we're hungry for. The only place we can find it is in the cross. And when we accept that that's true, then not only can we experience peace with God, but we can begin to experience peace with each other. And maybe there's somebody here this morning. And maybe you need reconciliation with God. 
Maybe you've never accepted that in Christ you can find forgiveness and justification, that you can be made right with God. And maybe you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism. But we also need to accept that when we are baptized into Christ, we are embracing the complete and total ceasefire to saying, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done trying to get even. I'm done trying to get back. I'm done trying to have it out on them because Jesus has already accepted it in himself. Jesus has already paid the price. And maybe you need to get right with someone else. Maybe you need to be reconciled with someone else. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ or we just pray with you and pray for you and encourage you, we are here for you. Our elders would love to meet with you after service in the prayer room where you can come forward now. Together we stand. Sing this song.